turn to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to review an account today that reveal and remind us, and at least, again, tell us if we've somehow forgotten about the power of Jesus' touch. It is really the touch that every one of us needs to help us through any facet and every aspect of life. Because, you know, as we begin to live life, well, it just gets busy, and it gets kind of complicated, and it gets aggravated at times, and it's frustrating because life is itself is difficult, and it's filled with days that will just simply will test our faith. And sometimes when we have our faith to be tested, like can so often happen, even sometimes in a hurry or in a moment we don't expect, we can almost feel like we need to give up. But if that's where we're at, where we need to feel like we need to give up, then our faith is being tested. And this message today is a welcome reminder because it tells us that when we're at that point, and many of us have been there, if not there now, then it tells us that we don't need to give up. We need to seek the power of the touch that Jesus can give all of us. So we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're in the fifth chapter. We read a portion of the fifth chapter, verses 21 through 34. So stand with me this morning as we do so to simply honor the reading of the word. That's why we stand. And today we find in Mark's gospel, in the fifth chapter, starting in verse 21, we don't read the entire account of this healing, but we do read through a a portion of it and certainly to verse 34, which will give us a flavor of what's happening here with Jairus and the woman with the hemorrhage. So chapter 5 of Mark, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he, that be Jesus, went with them. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she's no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of the blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, When you see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Father, Lord, we come before you today, Lord, reading this account, realizing that as we live our busy lives, Lord, at times we get frustrated, we get aggravated, and we know life gets difficult, so we're praying today, Lord, and we're reading the count that we can receive the power of your touch in our lives. Lord, today we may gather here today and truly need to receive this power. 
So, Lord, I just pray today then that the words be expressed today would be the words you want us to hear. It would just open our hearts and our ears, Lord, to hear this word and see how it can apply to us and, and help us, Lord, then today for where we may be. And let us receive not only your presence in our lives, but truly your touch. We're thankful for what you shall do here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first, I should say, as we begin our message within this particular context of this account, that this account is also kind of stated as well, or written as well, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 9 and that of Luke in chapter 8. But I chose Mark's rendering of this version of this account because it just provides a little more detail. It's by far the longest of the account of the three Gospels, but it just gives us more information and allows us then to receive much more from the text. Now, as you hear and read the text, what you first may see is the text doesn't require really a lot of explanation. In fact, really, it can just boil it down rather simply to just being a wonderful account, really two instances of individuals or people where the touch of Jesus was very powerful for them. Now, we did read all of what happens to Jairus and his daughter. You can pick up more of the story later after verse 34 and find out she also then is healed. But it's interesting as you think about what's happening just within the verses that we read of the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, as that this is not the first time that Mark has began to record that people are seeking out Jesus to receive his touch. In Mark chapter 3, verse 10, he says, For he had, Jesus, had healed many. So that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So people are seeking him. So much so again in Mark chapter 6, verse 56. He says, wherever he came, wherever Jesus went, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So notice, if you will, then that people are always gathering around seeking out Jesus. And as you look at verse 56 again, there's a little point in there that Mark's trying to make. And the point, go back to read the verse, he, and he says people are laying their sick in the marketplaces, imploring Jesus, some translations say begging Jesus, that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And any that actually touched it were made well. So notice that people are intentionally seeking out Jesus simply for his touch, that that might be made well. And it's interesting how it's happening. I mean, the version we're reading says imploring. I told you other translations say they're begging just to touch the border, just to touch these garments. Because people realize the power of Jesus and his touch. I mean, the entire account we're, we're looking at today and reviewing illustrates that as well. You have Jairus' daughter, who is near death. And you have then the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And they know that Jesus is the one who has been performing the miracles. They've heard about it. And they intentionally seek him out. But this is happening not just when these two individuals. It's happening so frequently that Mark records that people come from all over the place. The countryside, the villages, the cities and lay their sick in the marketplaces or in the street. Why? For one single magical moment and a touch by Jesus himself. 
or just merely that they could rub and touch the fringe of his garments. Now that's incredible. I mean, it demonstrates, if you will, the powerful touch of our Lord and Savior. It is so incredible to know that people were just seeking him out. At that day and time, people were seeking him out just to simply receive the magical power of his touch. But it begs the question that we should maybe ask this morning. That would that same thing happen in our world today? Do people seek out Jesus? Now we see it happening in this text. I'm even telling you other references. All the people are gathering together to seek him out. But do people actually seek out Jesus today? Now as you think about that, maybe you know the answer. Maybe you've seen life long enough to see that things can be changing. But let me ask the question again, but maybe a little differently. Like, do people in our world today know even of the power of Jesus? Do they seek him? Even we as Christians, believers, let's include ourselves together. Do we actually seek him with all of our heart, mind and soul? Do people in general today desire to even come into his presence? Or think about this question. If Jesus Christ was here today, would it make any difference? I mean, would people, society in general, our culture, would, as we see them coming and laying their sick in the streets, the marketplaces, would, would people actually come today if Jesus was still here, coming to Oakland City? Would we actually gather and lay people in front of him in the streets, begging? imploring for his touch or, or are we just are just craving to just touch the fringe of his garment would that happen today i understand that's a lot of questions to maybe contemplate but certainly questions worth considering and maybe asking and questions that we most likely should answer but i also realize that in order to properly answer the questions maybe we first need to back up and ask the question, why is it that people even seek Jesus? Or more specific to the account that we're reading in Mark chapter 5, why did Jairus, I mean, he is a synagogue ruler. Why does he seek out Jesus? Or why did this woman who has been suffering for 12 years of hemorrhaging desire to simply touch the garment? And the simple answer to that question for the synagogue ruler and for the hemorrhaging woman, is that they knew Jesus could heal them. But allow me to word it differently. They knew Jesus could give them the strength that they so desperately desired. Why were they seeking out the Lord? Because they knew that Jesus could give them the strength that they so desperately desired. I mean, look at the ruler again in verses 22 and 23. He was seeking, maybe, okay, maybe even selfishly, he was seeking the healing power and the strength of Jesus. I mean, it's written in 22 and 23 that he, he Jairus by name, he said, Jesus, he, he fell at his feet, implored him. He's, listen, my little daughter, picture it, my little daughter is at the point of death. Put yourself in his shoes. What would you have done? 
when your child is near death, we have a lot of children right now sick in our in our congregation. And, and when the child is sick, I mean, you just want to help them. Not even to the point maybe of death. You just want to help them. So now he, the synagogue ruler, is seeking desperately healing for his daughter. His greatest fear is, as the verse mentioned, is her death. Without a healing, without some sort of intervention, there will be the death of this child. So he's seeking out the one that he believes can provide her the healing to continue to her life. Similarly, then, in verses 25 through 28, the hemorrhaging woman. Verse 25 says she's been suffering for 12 years. Not only does it tell us that she's been suffering for 12 years, a long time by any estimation, she says she sought out physicians, spent all of her money to receive some medical assistance and help, but was no better, as you find at the end of verse 26. Rather, she grew worse. So if you're in her situation, again, what do you do? Maybe selfishly, the woman pushed herself within the crowd. All the crowd is gathered around Jesus. She pushed herself within the crowd to receive some supernatural healing for her body. So notice, if you will, these individuals, the woman, the ruler, they were desperate. They were to end with all the other remedies and the cures and the treatments because nothing seemed to help. Now, maybe you have been there as well. Maybe you have listened to the doctor, you completed tests and treatments, but it just seemed that nothing was helping. I mean, that's where Jairus and his hemorrhaging woman are in their lives. So because of all that, uh, they, they seek out Jesus. They seek out Jesus. But listen, here it comes. And they place their faith in his healing power. Which means they had faith in Jesus. It's important to note that you don't miss that feature of the text. I mean, Mark is really trying to make that a point. That the synagogue ruler and the woman do not come to faith after they get their healing. They come with Jesus already having established their faith. They come prior to the healing, having faith. It's important to recognize they have faith, they seek him out, they believe in him and his power. And they knew the strength they needed to receive was in his touch. It is the power of his touch. It is living by faith. Now, having said that, in making this message last week, I began to think about our church family. And I began to think that in our church family, we have many people that have recently demonstrated the power of his touch and living by faith. Most recently, of course, would be Tom, who's not here this morning, and Nora, both having their own individual battles, both having a very serious medical condition and health-related issues. But both also knowing of the power of Jesus and both also living by faith. But it's not limited to just those in our congregation and our church family. I mean, Carly is not really in our church family necessarily in our congregation, but I, I thought of her too as she was struggling for many months. 
couldn't keep anything down. She went from one doctor, one hospital to the other, never having any answers. But I think of her also that was seeking the power of his touch and living by faith. Of course, it's been quite some time that Kimberly gave us her testimony of her pregnancy with Daniel. Very moment in which it's powerful that she sought out the touch of Jesus. and She was living by faith. Dan had prostate troubles and he knew that the power of Jesus and that he could live by faith and that Jesus would take care of his need. I even thought about last January when Ray was in the hospital. You know, Ray certainly was one who was exemplifying faith in her life. She was living by faith. She desperately sought out the power, the touch of Jesus. Now, Jesus healed her body on the other side, not this side. But she was living by faith, and she was ready, and whatever moment she had, she was ready to receive God's will. But she also then knew the power of his touch and was living by faith. So this entire account then, as this does the testimony of many people within our church family, demonstrate how people are living by faith. So the synagogue rulers go back again. The synagogue ruler and the woman, the hemorrhaging woman, do not come to faith after the miracle, after the healing. They had faith prior to their healing because they simply knew that the strength they needed to receive was in the touch of Jesus. They knew of the power of his touch. They were living by faith. And, and Mark's trying to make that point as he goes through his gospel. There are many people, we know Jesus had many miracles, many healings performed. John even talks later, they're too numerous to even to be able to mention them all. So we know this. But what Mark's trying to do at the moment is trying to recognize at least a couple of individuals who are having faith coming prior to Jesus and knowing that he could heal them and seeking out his power. And what Mark's trying to do then is kind of make a picture to how that's different, at times at least, to other noticeable miracles that occur for healing. Like, for example, in John chapter 9, there's a healing you may read later of a man born blind who comes to faith afterwards. And, and in John chapter 5, there's a healing of a lame man being laid at the pool of Bethesda, who also then comes to faith. But here you find in the faith of the ruler, the synagogue ruler and the faith of the woman is already established. And then because of their faith, they sought out the most powerful man in the world that could give them their strength they so desperately craved and desired. They sought him out because they believed in him. They had faith. They sought out his, his touch. So then now let's return to the question. Do people in our world today, in our society, seek Jesus? Is Jesus their source of strength and encouragement and confidence? Do they seek him out? If Jesus was here, would it matter at all for these individuals, for these people in our society? Is he their strength, encouragement, and confidence? Now, in answering that question, allow me to state that 
in order to have Jesus as your source of strength, encouragement, and confidence, it requires that you have a relationship with him. I mean, think about it. If you really want to have Jesus to be your encouragement, your strength, and your confidence, it's going to require you have a relationship with him. But unfortunately, the news is that many people today have no desire to seek a relationship with Jesus. As at least observed in the decline of people who want to be Christians or the decline in Christianity in general. A few years ago, I pulled it back up last week, I read an article written by David Gushy. It says, why is Christianity declining? And here's what he says. He says, the number of Christians and cultural strength of Christianity are both declining in the United States. This, dec this decline is noticeable as affecting church life, culture, and politics. In our country, most denominations and congregations report declining membership and attendance. Additionally, more and more congregations are closing their doors forever. Now listen. And the youngest generation shows a significant and troubling disaffiliation trend that is likely to have a lasting impact. Note his words. This younger generation is troubling because it got a disaffiliation with anything pertaining to Jesus. Well, that is indeed troubling and is indicative really of how people seem to not be seeking out a relationship with Jesus, which to reword it means they no longer crave to receive his touch. They no desire to seek him out. It's incredible. But that's what's happening in our culture and our society. And, and this is probably not brand new news to you. You probably have seen it yourself upon many occasions. How people have an attitude at best of, I could take it or leave it. And simply sometimes they just leave it. But fortunately, there are exceptions. And it's good to note that there are exceptions. Like a few years ago, actually been several years ago now, that John Elpers and I visited with a man. His name was Brian. He's passed away now. But we visited with him at a time when he was lost and he was lonely and he was confused. And he had been abused in every possible way. Verbally, of course, physically, and even sexually had been abused in his life. He had been abused and used so many times that it spun him into a life of just reckless abandon where he's using drugs and alcohol constantly. And he used so much of drugs and alcohol, had been abused so much that he had a severe stroke at the age of 39. And then consequently, at the age of 39, when he had a severe stroke, he was hospitalized and then was at the point of near death. But at that moment, when he hit absolute bottom, he found his strength in Jesus Christ. And he learned then that Jesus is the only rock-solid source of strength in all of our lives. For all of us. I mean, Jesus is the only rock-solid source of strength in all of our lives. As you look through our prayer list, it is filled with people who have cancer. We mentioned it all the time. We had a, I had a funeral yesterday of a man who passed away battling cancer for years. 
Our, our prayer list is just full of that. We have even people added today still battling cancer. And as many people will tell you then and even testify, there's two reactions, two noticeable reactions when you have a, a diagnosis or when you have a friend or, or a family member who, who has cancer. There's two noticeable reactions or sources of strength, if you will, that you turn to. The first may be you can lean upon yourself, your family, and your friends. Or the second is you can lean and turn to Jesus. Now, perhaps your family and your friends are going to be there to comfort you. That's great. But the point I'm trying to make is only in Christ, only in Jesus Christ can you receive full strength to get you through. Only in Christ can you really receive the strength to help you. When you're told someone you love or you yourself get the news that you have cancer, you need the strength that Jesus can give you. You need to seek that touch, the power of his touch. Or, or maybe it's not cancer. You know, maybe it's something different. You know, maybe it's like Sheila's co-worker had when she was living in Texas, whose baby was born with a cleft palate. And it happened, they knew immediately there was going to be multiple surgeries. And when it happens, I mean, you can call the doctor, and the doctor may help you and give you some direction. But let me tell you, the only source of strength you're really going to receive and be rely on is Jesus Christ, because he'll carry you through all those dark days. He'll carry you through all the surgery that will happen for that baby. Or maybe it wasn't the cleft palate that happened with Sheila's co-worker. Maybe it's one of my co-workers right now who is suffering and is troubled by the fact that they have their three-month-old to be diagnosed with a hole in their heart who's also requiring surgery. Who's in Riley Hospital in Indianapolis, barely making it from one day to the other. And when that is happening in your lives, only Jesus Christ will supply the strength you need to get you through the circumstances. I mean, it's great to have the family and friends. I'm not saying discount that. I'm saying the true source of strength to help you through any situation that occurs is Jesus Christ. He is the source of strength for all of us. I mean, as a pastor, at many times I've seen tragedies and difficulties and hardships. I've seen families can fall, fall completely apart when they get these kind of news. Of any situation that begins to, that we've already talked about, that we've explained, or any other situation that begins to develop, I've seen families who get that news who completely fall apart. But I've seen other instances of families who receive such bad news, who are just pulled closer together. And you ask, well, what is the difference? Well, one so the families who are pulled closer together know Jesus and his healing and his power of his touch and are living by faith. The other, not so much. Those who know Jesus know that he always, always, always can give them strength to endure whatever happens. Now, allow me to clarify that the strength of Jesus does not equate to completely eliminating the pain, even completely healing the body as we would desire. We can think of Ray, again, as an example. Every one of us was praying for Ray to be completely healed. But that was not God's will. 
But there's been so many wonderful things that's occurred after that that we could never imagine. So we have to accept God's will. But the fact is, when we have Jesus as our strength and living by faith, we know that there'll be those days of pain, sorrow, mourning, but we know that he'll help us through it. I mean, those days actually become tolerable because we have that relationship with Jesus. And he is supplying us with the strength to get us through it. I mean, they're going to be less painful. With Jesus, those days are still there. Maybe some pain, but they're less painful. Because Jesus is our strength to help us. And we can maybe even utter the phrase that joy comes in the morning when we have Jesus with us. But back to the text. The text again tells us today, illustrates how two people, a synagogue ruler and a bleeding, hemorrhaging woman, had so much faith in Jesus, they were strengthened by his touch. They had so much faith in Jesus, they were strengthened by his touch. Thinking, okay, I don't have that luxury. Maybe you're thinking, okay, they actually physically receive his touch. I cannot physically feel Jesus. Well, that is true. While you cannot physically see, touch, smell, hear Jesus, he still remains as the most powerful source that anyone can ever receive. You can receive the strength of his touch by simply having faith. So faith then enables honored and dishonored, clean and unclean, to tap into the merciful power of Jesus that brings healing and salvation. And the healing in these two stories we're looking at today in this account in Mark chapter 5 show how you can receive Jesus' power through faith. And then reveals three application points before we close. And the first one is this, that faith opens the door to the power of God. You've got to live by faith. And faith opens the door for us to receive that power. No, we're not physically going to touch him like happens in his account. We're not going to see him. We can't go up to him like Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and ask for him to come see our daughter or our son when they're ill. But faith opens the door to receive the power. So faith transfers divine power to those who are utterly powerless, and really all of us are powerless. So that's exactly what happens to the synagogue ruler and to the woman. They had the faith and opened the door to receive the power they needed from God. David Garland says, faith can be imperfect. It can be bold. It can be halting. It can be brave. It can be laced with fear and trepidation. What counts for it to be effective is for it to be directed rightly to Jesus and God. Your faith needs to be directed to Jesus and that will open the door, receive the power. And secondly, faith shows persistence in overcoming any obstacles. The account tells us very specifically that the woman was bleeding, having hemorrhages, but it tells us specifically for the amount of time, 12 years. Enough time where it had been diagnosed as an incurable condition. And by Jewish law then, she's considered unclean. I mean, eliminate her from any kind of social contact. But nonetheless, she forced her way through the crowds. Her faith in Jesus would not allow her to sit idly by and and, and be shamed. She persisted and found a way to overcome that obstacle and came within his presence. And and as you see, the account explains she, she felt she only had to touch the fringe of his garment. 
And then nothing was going to stop her from exercising her faith she had in Jesus and of his power. She could set the social embarrassment aside to receive the touch. She could take the risk of being unclean to receive the touch simply because her faith removed any obstacle. The synagogue ruler very similarly had to come over the obstacle. Many synagogue rulers and leaders at the time were friends of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were telling everyone not to have any association, do not listen to Jesus. But yet, he persisted. He bows his knee, actually, in the account, which is a great risk for anyone associated with the Pharisees to see that would have been taken upon him a chance to condemn him for such an activity. But he had faith in Jesus, and his persistence allowed him to overcome any obstacle of what may happen if he had been condemned. And then finally and thirdly, then faith trusts God truly and completely. Because faith trusts God fully and completely, we begin to understand why risks are taken in persistence. And it's not so much a risk at all as in taking the chance, but rather an action of having, I have full confidence in God. I have full confidence and faith in God. There's many biblical illustrations that shows the people who had full confidence and faith in God. The one that came to my mind last week was in Daniel chapter 3, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was told you know, to bow to the image, and they refused to do so. And because of so, Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw them in a fiery furnace. And what did, they tell, what did they tell Nebuchadnezzar? God will be with me. We're not going to bow to your image. God will save us. God will be with us. They showed faith fully and completely in God. Faith trusts God fully and completely. It's having the utmost and extreme confidence in God. So those three points emerge from the text. But before we close, I recognize how there seems to be at least one potential problem with the text. Some research reveals that some expositors and commentators point to the actions of the synagogue ruler, Jairus, and the hemorrhaging woman, unnamed, and make mention of the fact that they're just merely desperate. They're just desperate. They don't really have faith. They're just desperate. And to those particular skeptics, I, I assert this point. Aren't all of us in life at some point in a state of desperation? When we think about that, we all have been there. If not, then we're getting there. Someday, some, sometime in life, you will come to a state of desperation. And when you're there, it's what brings you to your knees. And recognize then that there is power to receive, there is strength, and it is in Jesus. It's what brings us face to face with the master. Coming then in desperate prayer, seeking him out with all of our heart, crying out to him with all of our soul, just begging him to God, give me the strength. Help me. Help me through this hardship in my life. Preserve me, O Lord. Just take my hand and pull me through it. We're desperate at times, and we just we utter those things, and, and, and we notice then that's when God will literally pick you up and carry you. It's like one set of footprints in the sand. It's God carrying you through. 
If you look back to Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to find the heroes of faith, and among them were desperate people calling out to God to strengthen them. Yeah, so to the critics, I say desperation drives one to Jesus. So the cry of desperation should not be condemned, as some would do. Or we all have been there or will be there. But when we're crying desperate out to God, it's not a desperate cause like a last-ditch effort, but rather a call that we know that we can exercise our faith, believe in him, and he shall be there. I mean, it's a call, a shout, a touch that we desire from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to give us strength when we need it to help us endure, to persevere, and overcome. And the strength we need in that moment can only come truly from Christ. The only thing left to ask here this morning is, do you have Jesus Christ as your strength in life? And if not, what is keeping you from reaching out and receiving such strength today? Remember the question we ask multiple times perhaps is, do people in the world see Christ today? Are they coming to him for strength? Now, I recognize, perhaps you do this sadly, not all do. Not all people come to Christ for strength. Some call upon their friends or family, the doctor. Some refer even to alcohol and drugs. But everything in life will fail to give you the strength that you need to endure except Jesus Christ. So why not? Turn to him today with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul and receive his touch. Receive his strength. Just simply live by the faith that you have in Jesus. Father, Lord, this message today is one hopefully that's helpful to us. As we gather here this morning, Lord, we are a great church family and we are aware of each other's needs at times, Lord. But at the same time, I recognize how some things are not verbalized. Some things are not made public. So, Lord, I recognize then there could be truly someone here today that is in need to receive that touch. Receive, Lord, the strength that they need to help them through a situation in their life. So, Lord, I pray for the individual now and for all of us perhaps together to just simply see that we need to call upon you. We don't need to be embarrassed to shout out Jesus, Lord, and to call upon you to wherever we may be. That's a privilege we have, Lord. So let us today just recognize that we can call on you, and you'll be there. And we call on you, Lord, you'll never let us down. You'll be there to give us the strength to help us through whatever predicament, whatever situation we're in, whatever health-related issue there is. You'll supply the strength we need to get us through. Let us also pray, Lord, then for your will to be done, for whatever it may be, and be ready to receive. So, Lord, today we position ourselves before you to receive your strength, and we seek out your touch. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.